Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's you, it's me, it's us. What is that? It's us. It's everybody. We're all here. Is that like a, a quote? Yes. I, I just said it. I mean, so, you, may, you may quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was confused for a second. I was acknowledging the people that are here. It's you, it's me, and it's us. It's okay. the whole lot of us that are listening to this thing. Yeah, it's Thursday. And it's Thursday. It's Thursday. It's true. The Lord's I can year. confirm that. Year of the Lord. Year of the Lord. You know. Our Lord. Anno Domini. Domini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Not CE and BCE. Do you use that designation? I don't, but, but you want to, no, I really don't. But I've noticed like in the realm of Christian apologetics, a lot of the apologists, Christian apologists will use that terminology. I think that kind of falls into the category of pronoun hospitality. It's like, yeah, we're, we're, we'll, we'll do it. Um, but everybody knows we're kind of just doing this for your sake, not for ours. Yeah. They want to seat at the table, right? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Did you hear, by the way, the bill that was passed in California recently on pronoun hospitality and families? <sighs> no. Ever since I left California, I stopped following all the news yeah. feeds and all the things about it. But tell me, well, what, are we, what are we working on? Newsom slipped it into a, a bill that is aiming to protect minors against abuse, which all of us would be in favor of. However, okay. he modified it to say that now the state has the right to terminate parental rights if they will not use a child's preferred gender pronouns. That's terrible terrible and terrifying right like, yeah at, at it's where crazy. will they stop where where will where will okay never mind yeah i'm, I'm gonna get i'm gonna get agitated real quick i already am i i don't think texas is going there right now not uh, yet. hopefully not not yet soon but yeah what a horrible what a horrible thing that is yeah so c-e-b-c-e which stands for common error and before common error. If you're out there going, I don't even know what those things are. And BC stands for? Before Christ. And AD, why is it it's not after Christ? Uh, because Christ is not after. Mm. Where Christ is still alive. Okay. The year of the of our Lord. It's still the year of our Lord. Okay. Because he's Latin living. Phrase, yeah. He's still, yeah. He's still around. And reigning. Still doing his thing. And ruling. Yep. And ruling. So it's, it's you, me, us, and him. And him, right? Yes, because he's here too. Yeah. Right so, so let's talk about this whole concept. Let's it, we'll rip off the bandaid. We're we're talking about Song of Solomon here. Speaking of allegorical situations for our relationship with Jesus, um, let's talk about allegory to begin with, right? What Pastor Rod, help us understand what is allegory? Not as it pertains to the book necessarily, but just in general, allegorical interpretation would be it'd be when the story represents something beyond itself. It is meant to be. Uh, kind of parabolic you toss around you toss the uh which means to cast aside or to cast side by side so you you give us a story of song of solomon or the poetry or however we're going to interpret it and you put that beside something else that is of greater importance it is significant in and of itself but it points beyond itself it it, it allegorizes something in this case historically uh, sometimes people will have taken this book and allegorized it to mean something more than just a man and a woman expressing their love for one another. Right. A great example of an allegory, maybe you've read The Pilgrim's Progress. That's an allegory for the the Christian's journey the to Christian's life, right? reach paradise, to yeah. reach e- eternity with the Lord. 
so the reason we bring that up is because that is at the center of the issue of the question regarding how we interpret this book, the Song of Solomon. And there's at least one extreme that we have to avoid. And that is the the side that would say this has nothing to do with the physical union between a husband and a wife. This is all an allegory. Um, that's something that no matter where you are, we, we should set that aside and throw that out. That is a, a, a that short changes what takes place in the book itself. And I don't think it's faithful to the text. Mm. After that, we have to show charity amongst differences in interpretive opinions as to how much of this is to be allegorized versus how much of this is to be taken at face value. Uh, the book deals with um, some, not even PG-13, we'll just call it R uh, rated issues and, and, mm. and subjects here, not in an immoral way. It's, it's a picture of a husband and a wife. This is not a picture of an extramarital marital affair or anything else, but this is certainly a, a book that is praising the sexual union between a man and a woman. It's interesting because it's written by Solomon. Now Solomon had a thousand wives and 300 concubines. So you might think of Solomon and, and think, well, is he really the one to be writing a book about, <laughs> The, the greatness of the, the sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Mm. Um, and, and there are some who have said they think that this is one of Solomon's first wives, if not his very first wife, and that this is him you know, praising that woman. And then he fell into error after that by marrying 699 others and 300 concubines. I've also heard too that this may not even be his song. Like he's talked about as a subject uh, within the poetry, within the song, and it could be dedicated to him. It could be about him. Could be in the stylings of Solomon. So there's other interpret. I mean, there's interpretive flexibility in, in terms of uh, who this is about and what it's about. Right. Well, one thing we know that it's about is sexual intimacy, right? And that's undeniable in the the text. That's undeniable as you read these passages, even as it opens up in chapter one, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. It, it, the, the idea there is being intoxicated with the love of your spouse. Your beloved. Yeah. And if you're married, that's something that you know, we, we understand you, you can conceive of that. I hope you can. If, if not, then uh, we do offer biblical counseling here at the church and we would encourage you to come in and, and meet with us. Right. And I say that tongue in cheek, but not, not really. I mean, this should be a part of a healthy marriage. What is described in this book should be taking place within the confines of a godly marriage. And we've talked about that before with first Corinthians chapter seven and not denying one another, but for a time of fasting as agreed upon, but then mm-hmm. you come back together. So the book's about sex, but is it about more than that? And that's the question at hand. And, you know, ad- admittedly, Pastor Rod and I are, are working not, things out. We're working things out on that. You know, I come from more of the standpoint of, of saying, I, I think that this book is really first and foremost, just a, a praise of the greatest earthly human relationship that God has designed, which is the relationship between a husband and a wife. And certainly the sexual union is the culmination of that. It is the greatest expression of two becoming one flesh that we know of. And I think there's room in the canon for a book that simply magnifies and exalts that element because really there isn't that magnification and exaltation of that act elsewhere in scripture. There's uh, a lot that has to do with the perversion of the sexual union between a husband and a wife, but this one stands alone as a book that really um, praises it and glorifies it, and it really does that uh, as an expression of the love that God has designed to take place between those that are married. That said, is there room for it to be more than that? And Pastor Rod, I want you to, to speak to that um, and, and know uh, ahead of time this is not us at opposite ends disagreeing 100% with each other. I think we're trying to figure out 
the the common ground here because we would both see the other person's perspective and agree together with the uh, with certain elements of that. But but talk to what might be there beyond that because you would agree that that's there, hundred percent. But what's there beyond that potentially? So I have a hard time reading the book and removing it from its canonical setting. Uh, I see the Old Testament where God conveys himself as the husband. He calls Israel his wife. In fact, so much of the poetry. Um, or rather the prophecy that you read is Israel being unfaithful to her covenant spouse. Um, Israel was re- was rejecting her husband, God the Father. Um, you also see this in the New Testament. You have Ephesians chapter 5, most famously, where you see Christ, um, Paul says it this way, he says, the, this mystery is profound, the mystery between a husband and wife. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. And so you have both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have marriage being depicted as something that points to something greater than itself. And so here you have the Song of Solomon where we're reading it and it's granted. Let me just tell you, I'm sure you're going to feel this too. This would be uncomfortable to think about in terms of it pointing to an ultimate spiritual reality. Um, that's hard for me to wrap my head around, especially as a guy. And I think about the church being the bride of Christ and what that's going to look like in our, in our new bodies and the new heavens and the new earth. There's so much around this that I don't know the answer to. But what I, what I feel like I can't do is see this book as only speaking to a husband and wife um, or yeah, yeah, two lovers who, who consummate their marriage and that kind of being the end of it. Uh, so that's kind of where I stand, but I'm flexible. I don't, I don't hold it with a firm and a firm grip. I, I'm just more, I, I want clarity on the book as much as you do. Yeah. And, and uh, to be clear, when we're talking about the intimacy that this might represent between a, uh, the Christ and the church, I, I'm not, we're not implying there's a sexualization between Christ and the church. It, at least I, 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 right. we're not suggesting that or implying that, but but rather the level of intimacy, the the connection there, the closeness, the the unity between Christ and the church, and the, again the the potential allegorization of that or spiritualization of it, as is the word you just used there, of that here on earth would be the relationship between a husband and wife. Right, and, and to and to close a loop on that, we what we do see is that in heaven. There's none who are married nor given into marriage. So we know that to be the case. Jesus says that. That then says, okay, well, what's happening? Well, we're married to Christ now, all of us. The, the, the whole lot of us as Christians are married to Christ. So what then happens? If this, if this book is meant to convey the ultimate earthly human experience between a man and a woman, does this book suddenly cease to be significant? And I would say, no, it must be pointing beyond itself in order to, to have a place in the canon. So that's my humble position. I, I, there's 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 a few people that I, you could look at who would probably agree to some measure. Um, some of my most respected Hebrew scholars and uh, commentators um, have different positions on that. One is the more literal approach and saying that this is a husband and wife and this is what it's doing here. There's other ancient uh, peoples that had similar love poetry. And so maybe Israel was, was uh, influenced by that and decided to make some of her own. That's a possibility too. You know, uh, if you're interested in a deeper dive on this book, then we're going to be able to hit on a podcast like this. Uh, Tommy Nelson, who's the pastor of Denton Bible Church, um, stones throw away from where we're at, has a series on Song of Solomon that I actually went through with uh, my high school youth group guys in a guy's Bible study. So might be beneficial to uh, to check that out. He preached through it with his church as a, as a corporate message. But that brings up an interesting point. Pastor Rod, we've got single people listening to this that are not married. Is this a book that they should in, investigate? Is this a book that they should participate in, that they should listen to the podcast? Should they read this? what would we say in that context? So my advice and counsel and, and pastor PG, you can certainly chime in when, when I, when I finish my part here, I think there's, there's times and places where scripture, <laughs> scripture 
is all equally inspired, but not all of it is equally relevant at the time of our reading. I'm not going to have my kids read Song of Solomon. Um, and maybe you're single and it's not the best time for you to read Song of Solomon because you're struggling with some of your own personal chastity and this wouldn't be the most helpful thing for you right now. And it's not that the Bible itself is trying to be salacious or to say things that are exciting you in the wrong ways. But I know that as a fallen person, this may not be the best book for you right now. So maybe it is an okay time for you to, to skip a book and read something else that would be a lot more beneficial to your walk right now. Right. Certainly, I would agree with you on, on the kids issue. In fact, the way we kind of divided it, at least in our sending church, is the junior hires did the New Testament, New Testament only right. in yeah. reading and the uh, high schoolers did New Testament and Old Testament. That's when they begin to read the, the full context. Um, but make that decision, parents, for uh, for your, your kids yourselves and then singles. Yeah, I, I would agree with Pastor Rod's uh, advice on that. There may be an opportunity to set this one aside for now and to return to it later on at another time. So one person to avoid, I think we probably would agree on this. I didn't, we didn't talk about this beforehand. Uh, Mark Driscoll has a series about this. Yep. Probably not going to be helpful, beneficial. Nope. Um, I would recommend not spending time with that. In fact, John MacArthur did a, a responding series to that. He get this. He he's not very provocative. You know John MacArthur, right? He's kind of stays We're tied. We're straight. Close. Yeah, you, you guys, yeah. you know each other. Yeah. He called his series "The Rape of Solomon's Song." Yeah, that's pretty I provocative. That. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's largely a response to what Mark Driscoll said about the book. And granted, I mean, I, I heard some of the stuff and hear, hear all of it, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's enough. It's, it's too much. Yeah. And, and honestly, even Matt Chandler did a, a marriage series and I would point people away from that as well. Oh, wow. Um, so it just, people wade into these topics and I, I think, I think things like this are most helpfully dealt with within the context of the local church of your local church with your pastors and, and being in a situation where you can ask questions and get answers from people who know you and you're known by them and there's mm. opportunity for counseling and follow up and so forth and so on. So we're not going to shy away from it, but I, I just would encourage you guys uh, uh, away from those two things. So, so do we have a couple brief words for them on these first three chapters then? Yeah. I, I, again, I, th- I think this is the, the wooing in a lot of ways here in the, the beginning in, in, uh, in chapter one, he's praising her men. Maybe don't say to your wife that you are uh, comparing her to Pharaoh's chariots, a mare from Pharaoh's chariots um, or the, the pomegranates uh, for, uh, for her cheeks. Um, there's language within this book that you're going to read. Like you're going to, it's going to talk about her having all of her teeth at one point. And like, yeah. that's, that was a, a praiseworthy thing. Yeah. That's still praiseworthy. Yeah. So man, <laughs> I, I wouldn't get Valentine's from the book of song of songs. Although if you've ever seen those Christian memes that have those, those are, are somewhat funny. They are pretty funny, uh, but these two love each other and they're intoxicated with love for one another and they are physically attracted, attracted to each other and they're praising one another for their, uh, those physical traits. That's something that's good. Husbands, and wives should do that with each other. Um, your wife, men should know what you appreciate about her. Um, and ladies, it's okay to praise your husband as well. That, that's a, a good thing to, to do. And that's a, something that we see here in these texts. Yeah, I guess I should go back here. I, I probably would have my kids read Song of Solomon. I'd have them read all the repetitive phrases of, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Right. There's a right time and a wrong time to excite the, the, the physical sensations that go along with loving somebody. Um, and the time is not 
probably through most of your teen years. Right, right. And and that's it, that's the tension building up here. In fact, it, it kind of culminates in chapter three. She's dreaming about him, you know, coming to, to be with her even before the, the wedding takes place as she's anticipating their, their union eventually happening. And then in, yeah. So do you understand this? I guess we, this is something we need to talk about. Do you understand this book as being uh, a story as, as opposed to a, a set of poetry or a collection of songs? I've always thought of it more as the narrative approach than the... the okay. Uh, clearly, it's poetry. There's no right, doubt it is, about yeah, it. It's I mean, poetry. Po- like a, co- is, a collection of poetry. Is there a plot, in other words? Yes, yeah. that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I've always viewed it that way and learned it that way and been taught it that way, but I do know that there are others that believe that these are just poetic snippets that are, are compiled all praising right. and, and dealing with these things. Yeah, there's even question about when they consummate their marriage, if it is plot. when is it chapter five? Is it chapter eight? Right. Um, there's a bit of uncertainty about that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, men, here's what you need to do next time you come home. You need to, in chapter three, verse seven, you need to get your litter of Solomon and uh, have 60 mighty men carry you home to your wife. That's what you should do. I'd take volunteers if anyone wants to carry me <laughs> home today. Do you want to be part of that? Uh, I'll pass on that, man. You, <laughs> you can find other people to do that. Yeah. Um, but just the pomp and circumstance that, that surrounded this with, uh, with Solomon and being the king of Israel. Okay, I get that. That's fair. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a celebration of love. And that's what this book is really all about. That's right. God's and love for lo- us. Love. Solomon's love for yeah, his bride. Love, uh, as love, I would agree. Well, this is a song about love for sure. And love ultimately comes from God. And therefore, we should celebrate that. Yes. Well, let's jump over to the New Testament, unless you have more that you wanted to say on. No, let's uh, let's do it. Okay. NT all the way. It's an odd transition. Do you want me to talk more about love? Nope. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> hey, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we talked about weakness, and here Paul picks up on this. and uh, Dude, he went to heaven. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> He, he did. I know a guy. Yeah, I was. I know somebody. Maybe I know somebody. <laughs> he sounds like he does like one of those. Uh, those Italian guy. I got, yeah. yeah, I got a guy. I got a guy. Right. And how do we know? How do we know this wasn't John from the Book of Revelation? Because John was caught up and had the visions, and well, mm. because of when John wrote. Right. John That's wrote right. Revelation towards the end of his life in the nineties. Somewhere and, in the night. Yeah. Right. 90s. And, and Paul was no longer um, here. He was. He was unalived, <laughs> as the kids say. Right. So he talks about this vision that he had, um, yeah, which is not like a heaven is real situation, that book that was written by that four-year-old because his dad wanted a, a nice new car or something like that. Dude, but they came out talking about that not being a real story. Yeah. Shocker. Yeah. I'm, I'm appalled and shocked. <laughs> what? I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. No, he actually, Paul had that experience and yet he's trying to be humble about it, which is why he's saying, I know a guy. I got a guy. Yeah. But then he goes on to say, hey, but you know what? I'm not going to boast because to keep me from boasting, there was a thorn in the flesh given to me. We've heard that phrase. If you've grown up around the church, you've, mm-hmm. you've heard that expression. Called people that? Yeah. Hey, you are my thorn. <laughs> <laughs> you are the thorn in the flesh. I saw when I called you the other day, that's what it popped up on yeah, the phone. Uh, thorn in the your flesh. Your nickname, yes. Yeah. No. Uh, and there's been debate about what this is. Some have said that this is a visual impairment that he had that uh, mm-hmm. that prevented him. In, in, and that's why he had to have an amanuensis, which is somebody who writes his letters for him. Even in some of the letters, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing this. This is me. Some people thought, well, Paul had a vision problem. And that's why he had to write he had big to write letters. Big letters, yeah. Um, other people have said that this was uh, some physical ailment that he had. I've, I've also heard, and I don't agree with this, but I've heard that this is a sin that he battled that uh, was a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble, to, to keep reminding him that he still needed Christ. And so he battled a, a particular sin that he asked the Lord to take away. The point is he pleaded with God to remove the thorn, uh, not once, not twice, but three times. Mm. And God 
con- communicated, conveyed to him that he was not going to do that, that he was going to live with this thorn so that he would boast in his weakness and trust in the power of God. That's right. Some of the favorite verses there, nine through 11. Oh, those are so good. My grace is sufficient. So Jesus answered no to Paul's prayer. Yep. That's amazing. Paul, I mean, the, the Paul, the yep. one who suffered and struggled so much and did so much good for the kingdom, he asked for God, specifically Christ, to deliver him. And Jesus says, no, my right. grace is sufficient for you. Oof. Right. That'll preach, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's important, too, because it, Paul says, well, three times I went. So does that mean we can only pray three times for God to remove a thorn from our flesh? Mm. I don't think that's the point. I think for Paul, he... He had a, an actual answer from Jesus. He had an answer from Jesus. Right. That's different. Yeah. And, and I think for us, it's like, okay, well, when do I stop praying? I think if you get to a place where you feel like, okay, you've got a conviction that God has answered the prayer by not answering the prayer, I think it's appropriate for us to to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be done then. I'm going to trust God that that right now his plan, his will for me is to have this ongoing. And, uh, and to, to proceed with that. And maybe down the road, you revisit it. And maybe that's a month later, two months later, six months later, a year later, six years later, when, whenever that is. Never later. Yeah. Or maybe you get to the place where you learn to be content the way that Paul was. But uh, is it wrong to pray four or five, 10 times, 15 times that God would remove the thorn? No. As long as that thorn is not creating bitterness and sinfulness in our hearts, right? Right. Let the spirit lead, man. Yeah. One more verse to point out in chapter 12, which is super helpful and encouraging as he is expressing as he's winding the letter down, landing the plane, so to speak. He's communicating his love for the church. And I love this in verse 15. I hope this is our mindset. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I love that. Right. And, and Paul says something similar to the church in Thessalonica when he says we were willing to share not only the gospel with you, but our very selves with you. Um, and that idea of being all in for for the, the people of God and for the family of God together uh, and as we serve the church is just an encouraging thing. That's right. Well, hey, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. And we'll be back again tomorrow as we keep going through Song of Songs. Song of Solomon. We, we're in it for a couple of days, man. Better yeah. buckle up. Yep. 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 Three days. Yeah. Uh, Remember Robinson. how we normally have, we've been like, dude, I can't believe we've like Ecclesiastes. We only got four days in the, how do we only have four days in Ecclesiastes and we got three days in Song of Songs? Yeah. I, I don't know, man. You better write to those guys who did the, the Bible reading plan. Yeah. I've give got, a piece of your mind. I've got words. I've got words. <laughs> All right. Hey, we trust that uh, you've enjoyed this and we pray that you'll be back with us again, Lord willing, tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hope to see you then. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.